A salary is the drug they give you when they want you to forget about your dreams. Welcome to the Corporate Dropout Podcast. I'm your host, Alessia Citro. After a successful career in tech, suffering from burnout, stress, and anxiety, I walked away from a multiple six-figure career to chase my passions and purpose as a coach and entrepreneur. This show is going to inspire, equip, and empower you to do the same. Let's get it. Hello, friends. Welcome to the show. Today's episode will be different than any other episode that will follow. Today, I'm sharing my story, the good, bad, and ugly. At the time of recording, I've recorded 13 other episodes, and this has been the hardest by far to put together. Why? Because it feels weird talking about myself. And guess what creeps in? imposter syndrome. Like, who the hell am I to have a podcast and talk about my story? But here's the deal. Each of us is on a journey that can help others. Sharing that unique story is not egotistical. Withholding it is. Because if we don't share, we are making it about us. And we deprive someone of hearing our story that may really need to hear it. So without further ado, here it goes. Let's dive in. The least interesting thing about me is my resume. Yeah, I have some great companies on there, House, Salesforce, and Google. But what I think is a lot more compelling was the twisted path to get there and how I up and quit my successful tech career in July. The longer story of why I quit warrants its own episode, so stay tuned for when an episode about the plain story drops. So let's start at the beginning. I'm a first-generation American, born in rural Iowa, My dad immigrated from Sicily to the south side of Chicago when he was 14 years old. He didn't go to college because he was too busy working and sending the money back home to Italy. On my mom's side of the family, I hail from a long line of Iowa farmers. Salt of the earth people, humble and hardworking. No one in my family has been wealthy or well-connected. And being the first person in my immediate family to go to college Part of my drive and why for doing this podcast is to help people, especially women, who, like me, didn't have the benefit of professional mentorship growing up. I'm also passionate as hell about helping people change their money mindset. I grew up knowing money was tight and always feeling a level of stress about that. We moved to California when I was a baby because it provided better opportunity for my dad, and my mom stayed home with us. I don't think I'd classify us as poor when I was a kid, but all my friends lived in nicer homes than we did, and I felt like we were poor. If this was your situation growing up, it may affect you today in ways you don't even notice. I remember a boyfriend in my 20s who was from an extremely wealthy family. He came to Iowa with me one summer and was shocked at how often money came up. Conversations like how much gas prices had gone up, the price of such and such at the diner going up, the price of corner soybeans, etc. What he didn't get is that for most folks, the worry is constant on some level, and those seemingly small changes in gas prices, food, etc. really matter. So if that resonates with you, know that I see you. I get it. And one of my goals with this show is to help you find your way to both financial and spiritual abundance. More on that in a future episode. A little bit about my family. My parents are restaurant owners, having owned the same Italian restaurant for 32 years. 
I'm happy to report not only did they weather COVID, but today their business is more successful than ever. The restaurant is also what I credit a lot of my intangible skill set to. I grew up in that restaurant and became a hostess at 14. You learn to talk to adults and hold your own when needed very quickly in a setting like that. The other thing is that their restaurant is in Newport Beach, California, and much of the clientele is extremely well off. At a young age, I saw that not everyone lived with the financial worries I felt. I also saw that some of the wealthiest people who came in were also the nicest and the most generous, and they were often the lowest profile. It flipped on its head the things I'd heard from various people as a kid, that the wealthy were greedy and flashy, that money was the root of all evil, etc. Instead, I began to see that wealth could create ease and opportunity, and I began to envision myself as wealthy, and I knew that one day I would be. I'm on my way to that now, but I was in five figures worth of debt only eight years ago. But again, we'll come back to all of this on a future episode. When I was a kid, academically, I did well, but I always found the balance between athletics, having fun, and getting good grades. I intuitively knew that the social component of school was just as or more important than the academic portion. So I got good enough grades, but I didn't give a rip about being a valedictorian, being in the National Honor Society, etc. But I've always loved to learn and still do, and I learn best through experiences. For me, that learning was leadership, being involved in clubs and extracurriculars. I think my first student leadership role was in second grade, and after that, I never stopped. It also doesn't hurt that I like to be in charge of things. Just ask my husband. And actually, this is kind of a funny story that I don't know that I've shared this with too many people. My kindergarten teacher told my parents at a parent-teacher conference that I would be a CEO one day, but I'd need to learn to get along with people first. (laughs) I blame that bossy streak of my younger days on being an Enneagram 8 and a Sagittarius, which is a pretty lethal combination. But luckily, I've brushed up on my people skills over the years as I've matured, and I've converted that bossiness into servant leadership. So when it came time to go to college, my grades and SATs were good, but they weren't good enough to get into any UC schools. I had my heart set on UCSB, but due to budget cuts that year, they took a smaller freshman class. They sent me a letter that in a normal year I would have gotten in, but if I went to a junior college for two years, then transferred into UCSB as a junior, they would pay for my junior college tuition retroactively. In hindsight, that was really a hell of a deal. I could have lived at home, saved up a pile of money, and gone to college for a fraction of the cost. But of course, that's not what I did. I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but I think watching movies like Van Wilder, Old School, Animal House, etc., made anything other than the four-year experience a deal breaker. You also need to keep in mind, I grew up with a strict... Italian dad. The joke amongst my friends in high school is that I needed to be home before the streetlights came on. Like seriously, it was bad. (laughs) So living at home during college was pretty unappealing. I'm also a quote unquote joiner and I loved being in clubs, on sports teams, etc. And I knew I wanted to be in a sorority and be the chapter president. I told you, I like being in charge of things. 
after that Animal House reference, you're probably thinking I must have gone to a party school, but no. Instead, I went to the University of San Diego, a private Catholic university. Make no mistake, we still had plenty of fun. <laughs> and yes, I did join a sorority. I joined Alpha Phi, and sure enough, I did become chapter president. The common theme you'll see through this show is that when I put my mind to something, it happens. And why I bring up the sorority piece is because this helped me tremendously in my career path, but more on that later. University of San Diego has an incredible business school, and I got my bachelor's in business administration there. But by far, the most valuable thing I acquired at USD was the network. Until I met my friends, Sandy and Wade, who, by the way, my interview of them drops on the podcast today as well, so be sure to listen to that. I had never heard the term, your network is your net worth. But it's so true. And it was my sorority and college network that ultimately led to almost every major break I've had on my career path. That's not to say that great things won't happen to you if you did not go to college or you were not in Greek life, but they definitely proved very, very helpful for me. So let me tell you something. My career path was not linear. I didn't get into tech sales until I was 27 years old. And before that, I struggled professionally. In fact, to this day, I still don't ask people what they do for a living because for the longest time after I graduated from college, I hated when people asked me that because I was embarrassed to give them the answer. I graduated from USD in 2008. I didn't have a job lined up because I planned to go to law school. And if you're the kid of an immigrant, you may be able to relate to your career paths being limited to a doctor or a lawyer. (laughs) When I was younger, I liked to argue and convince people I was right. So being an attorney seemed like a better choice than being a doctor. By the way, now I'll usually let people think they're right, even if I objectively know that they're wrong, because at this point, anything to protect my peace. So good thing I didn't become a lawyer. (laughs) After graduation, I moved home with my parents and began working at a law firm in Orange County. It was a business litigation firm, and I was a filing clerk there. I actually loved it. I thought it was interesting, and when I watched one of the partners at trial, I was like, oh, hell yeah, dropping facts and winning, that is my jam. And again, isn't it funny how we change as we mature? (laughs) Anyway, remember what I said earlier about my streetlight curfew? Well, that continued even after college graduation, because again, my dad is Sicilian. If you know, you know. I couldn't deal with that as a 23-year-old, so I saved up, wait for this, two grand, and booked a one-way ticket to Chicago. My plan was to live there while applying to law school and then go to a law school in the city. I chose Chicago because I'd gone on a cross-country road trip the summer before, and when we stopped in Chicago, I was obsessed. Chicago summer is unlike any other place in the world, and I had a large group of friends from college who landed there after graduation. My best friend Jackie scoped out a three-month sublet for me that I found on Craigslist, and she reported back that it was livable, so I signed the lease, sight unseen, and off I went. I look back now to saving two grand, thinking it would last me for three months, when, mind you, my rent was $700 a month, and it just makes me laugh. Needless to say, financial management was really not a strong suit of mine back then. So the kitchen in this Lincoln Park apartment I'm living in, it was literally awful. I think the counter was one by two feet, I don't even think it had a dishwasher. I could not stand to cook in there, and none of the kitchen stuff was mine, so I went out to eat or got takeout for every meal. 
my money that was supposed to last for three months ran out in three weeks. Now, mind you, my dad told me it was a huge mistake to move to Chicago. There was no way I was going to prove him right. I was determined to make it work. I was hustling. I was interviewing like crazy. They say finding a job is a full-time job, and it's true. And while I didn't realize this is what I was doing at the time, I totally manifested a job. You have to remember, this is 2009, the height of the Great Recession. Some friends who moved to Chicago before me had been unable to find jobs for months, but I just knew I would and that it would work out for me. It wasn't even a question. And that is how you manifest things. But again, we'll talk plenty about that on other episodes. A couple days after I get to Chicago, a recruiter found me on monster.com. I'm really dating myself by telling you that. <laughs> she happened to be an alpha fee from another school and we clicked immediately. She got me an interview with a private equity firm where the position was an administrative assistant to the office manager and a front desk receptionist. At the same time, I landed a week-long temp job. I don't even remember what the job was, except that I was about to run out of money and my paycheck hit the day my bank account dried up. I had my final round interview with the PE firm while I was at the temp job and found out I got it. Was that what I wanted to be doing? No, but I was grateful nonetheless because of the job market and I knew I had to start somewhere. I also really backed myself into a corner professionally because I didn't understand the importance of internships while I was in college and had decided against law school by that time. I thought leading a sorority was more worthwhile to employers than interning and didn't have any professional mentors to tell me otherwise. The experience gained leading my peers and turning around my chapter was certainly invaluable, but it didn't translate to scoring a badass, well-paying job. I remember loading the copy machine at the private equity firm feeling like it was beneath me and my business degree. Same with restocking LaCroix in the fridge and all the other administrative tasks that came with the title. But you know what? Paying your dues and cutting your teeth is important. And wow, did I learn a lot from my boss. She was one of my best mentors I have ever had professionally. And she taught me phone presence and how much details matter, which really helped me a lot in my sales career. And we're still very close to this day. Now, I didn't make a lot at the private equity firm, so I started working at a bar after work. I'd change in the bathroom at the office, pound a five-hour energy on the L, and work until 2 a.m., rinse and repeat. Working at bars and nightclubs in Chicago was honestly one of the best things I ever did. I had fun, I made great money, I made great friends, many of whom I'm still connected with, and I further built up the skills that would later become invaluable for sales. A couple years into my time in Chicago, I was working at one of the bars and I agreed to take my friend's section so she could go home and study for finals. I ended up getting a table in her section that changed the course of my life. The gentleman I waited on loved beer, and this was a bar that had 180 beers on the menu. I told you earlier I love to learn, and to learn this many beers, I literally put the beer menu into an Excel spreadsheet that I could sort by IBUs, which is International Bitterness Units, by the type of beer, and by the alcohol by volume. Yes, I am a closet nerd. <laughs> now, 
I asked this gentleman what kind of beer he liked, and I offered to take him through the beer menu, and he trusted me to make recommendations. I ended up turning him on to five or six new beers that he loved, and he was so impressed. He told me, I get the sense this isn't the only thing you do. And I said, no, it's not. I'm also an administrative assistant at a private equity firm. But I've been there almost two years, I'm ready for a pivot, and I'd really like to get into public relations. He looked at me, laughed, and said, well, I own a PR firm and I'm hiring. He handed me his card and told me to call him Monday. That's how I got into PR, where I learned so much about communication, messaging, marketing, and from there, I began a freelance, managing social media for three different companies while continuing to work at bars and nightclubs. And then it was time to come home. I missed my family, a serious relationship came to an end, my best friend had moved back to California, and I was feeling pretty lost. I told you about my beer Excel sheet, and I had gotten really into learning about and drinking beer. I wanted to get my Cicerone certification, which is like being a sommelier, but for beer. Leveraging my dad's contacts with alcohol distributors he knew through his restaurant, I moved back with the intent to become a beer specialist for one of the largest distributors in Southern California. Well, I found out what it paid, also failed the interview, and that was that. Luckily for me, at the same time, I reconnected with my little sis from Alpha Phi who had relocated to Orange County. She was working for a new startup called House, and told me I should interview. I'd never had a sales job, but she told me that didn't matter, just go for it. I remember being interviewed and the VP of sales asked me to tell him about a time I upsold a customer. I said, well, I've never had a sales job like this, but I've upsold many a customer from Vuve Clicquot to Krug and Dom Perignon. And what do you know, I got the job. And let's talk about that really quick. I meet so many people who have worked or currently work in hospitality, restaurants, hotels, bars, or in retail, and they totally discount their experience. Dealing with the public is the perfect training ground for success in customer service or sales roles. Leverage that and be proud. I also have to tell you, nearly all of the people I worked with in restaurants and bars were getting graduate degrees or working full-time professional jobs at the same time. In my opinion, they are some of the best people to hire and often go on to be successful entrepreneurs. So if you're down on yourself because you have this background, don't be. Own it and leverage it. So back to house. I was maybe the 25th salesperson in the company and the timing was impeccable. I went from hustling in Chicago, working five different jobs at one point, to having one job with normal hours and making more than I had ever made before. I've always been competitive and thriving in a sales environment lit me up. I was making 100 calls a day and would end the weeks completely depleted and exhausted, but I had finally landed a great job and was so grateful. But I knew I couldn't maintain that pace forever. And after nearly three years there, I'd been promoted twice and I was ready for the next challenge. A friend from college referred me into Salesforce. I wanted this job more than I'd ever wanted anything. With only three years of sales experience, I knew my resume wasn't where it needed to be in order to be competitive. And actually, I learned at my orientation, the chances of getting into Harvard undergrad are better than getting hired at Salesforce. So I did what I could to make up for it. 
With advice from my husband and my experience as a hiring manager at Howes, the first thing I did was load up my resume with relevant metrics. If you're listening to this and you are trying to get better pay or a better position, metrics matter. What percentage are you in compared to the rest of your sales organization? Are you in the top 5%, the top 1%? Have that metric if it's a positive one. How much revenue have you brought in? What percent are you to your quota? And what's your track record been? Where are you projecting to be when that fiscal year ends? If you've been a manager, how has your team performed and how do they stack up to other teams? How much have you grown your territory? And on and on and on. The other thing I did to stand out was create a brag book. This was my husband's idea also. I have to give credit where it's due. He hires extremely talented and tenured salespeople in biotech. And when candidates do this, it's made them stand out. So I made a brag book and I made several copies of it. I went really overboard. They had plastic covers, plastic sleeves, divider tabs. I included my resume, my references. I also printed out multiple copies of my resume on resume paper just to show my preparedness. <laughs> I also put a 30, 60, 90 plan in there. I included emails and accolades from customers, leadership, peers. I included examples of prospecting emails I'd created and their performance relative to the performance of email templates that were used across the office provided by management. I mean, it was extra, but hey, like guacamole, so am I, and I own that. <laughs> the Salesforce hiring manager, who would later become my boss, he told me after I was hired what a standout this brag book was and how he had never seen anyone else make a brag book like that before or since. It was thanks to that experience at the private equity firm and my boss teaching me great attention to detail that I was able to execute on a deliverable like that. Point being, take your experience and showcase it. Don't just speak to it. So obviously, I not only got the job at Salesforce, but I got a great territory, which helped me be successful continuously across my tenure there. I have no idea if the brag book played into territory assignment, but it definitely didn't hurt. So go the extra mile. How you do anything is how you do everything, and seemingly little things pay off. You never know what an action that you think is insignificant could ultimately lead to as far as a launch pad. My time at Salesforce was invaluable. I mean, I had literally thousands of conversations with business owners and their employees earning what we internally called, quote unquote, the Salesforce MBA. And I loved helping people solve problems that would grow their businesses, their incomes, and change their lives. After four years at Salesforce, and on my first day back from maternity leave, I learned the specialist position I was in at the time might be phased out. I began applying for jobs internally and externally. And a past colleague from Salesforce had gone over to Google, called me to see if I was interested in applying. I'd actually been thinking about calling him the same day. And trust me, there is no such thing as coincidence. I got the job and I began at Google on March 2nd, 2020. A week later, the pandemic hit and the world shut down. With my toddler at home due to daycare closure, I was never able to fully onboard. We tried nannies, but one didn't work and the other got called back to teach. And the hits just kept coming. 
By December, I had entered a deep pit of depression. And prior to this, I had loved and thrived in corporate America. Had timing been different, I think I would have continued loving and thriving in the corporate setting. I learned so much in the corporate world, and I loved so much of it, whether it was the tech culture, the people, or the conversations with customers. But, you know, there, there were also things I couldn't stand and I never liked, like needing to be in at a certain time. At one job, I was expected to be in my seat at 6 (laughs) a.m. That was tough. I also really hated needing to request PTO and feeling like I never had enough of it. I detested going through performance reviews. I couldn't stand putting people on performance plans and commuting an hour or more a day just sucked. Now, I'm a creative at heart and an ideator. I literally have a new business idea about every five minutes. And I always knew I wanted to be my own boss, but I never felt ready. But sometimes push comes to shove and you decide it's time to jump and you trust that the net will appear. And that's what happened to me. 2020 fundamentally changed me like it did all of us. After the birth of my daughter, my priority was no longer topping the sales leaderboard. It was having a balance between building a future for her and being present And being home with her during COVID further shifted my priority towards family. I also wasn't feeling like I was making a difference anymore. While this was a coveted, highly compensated job, selling cloud infrastructure to big companies just didn't make me feel like I was adding value to the world and making an impact. I was too far removed from making a personal impact in people's lives. And at the same time, The network marketing company I had joined a few months before COVID exploded during the pandemic. I was mentoring women and watching them do things they didn't think they were capable of. And I was helping many of them make an income that made a real difference for their families. And I suddenly realized this, this is what I was called to do, to lead, to coach, to inspire others to go after their desires and realize their potential. My leadership itch that I had had all of growing up, it had finally come full circle. And so here we are, the daughter of an immigrant who was the first in her family to go to college, who became the quintessential sorority girl, who couldn't find her way professionally, but leveraged her network to eventually land a job at Google, one of the hardest companies in the world to get hired at, She fell into a pit of depression during a a once-in-a-lifetime pandemic and was led to pivot and change her life. That's my story. And if you're ready, I'm going to help you change your life too. Today, I'm launching this podcast. I'm writing a book. I'm launching a business masterclass. And I'm getting a coaching certification. I'm finally pursuing all the things I love and none of what I don't. I want that for you too. And I cannot wait to show you how. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If today's episode added value to your life in some way, please subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share it with someone who needs this. I'd love to connect with you on Instagram and hear how the show has inspired you. So tag me or slide into the DMs. Find me at Corporate Dropout Official or Alacia Citro. That's A-L-E-S-S-I-A-C-I-T-R-O and two underscores. 
Until next time, remember that you're a badass, stay focused, stay hungry, and dare to drop out.